The American Thoracic Society. We help the world breathe. This is Jacob Yasha Schneider, editor of the American Journal of Respiratory and Critical Care Medicine, welcoming you to the American Thoracic Society's podcast. I would like to introduce the deputy editor of the Blue Journal, Dr. Scott Badinger, who is an associate professor of pulmonary and critical care medicine and cell and molecular biology at Northwestern University. Welcome, Dr. Badinger. Thanks, Yasha. In 2009, the Clean Air Scientific Advisory Committee recommended to the EPA that ozone standards be revised. The ATS has supported the revision of these standards. Recently, the Obama administration instructed the current EPA administrator, Lisa Jackson, to rescind reconsideration of the ozone air quality standard as recommended by the Scientific Advisory Committee. Dr. John Balms from the University of California, Berkeley, and Dr. Kent Pinkerton from the University of California, Davis, co-authored an editorial in this issue of the Blue Journal critical of this decision. I am joined today by Dr. Pinkerton and by Dr. C. Arden Pope from Brigham Young University, who has authored several landmark studies on the health effects of air pollution. Welcome to you both. Thank you. Thank you. So, Dr. Pinkerton, could you start off by educating us about the Clean Air Scientific Advisory Committee and its function with respect to air pollution standards in the United States? Of course. The uh, Clean Air Scientific Advisory Committee is an independent committee of scientists from outside the Environmental Protection Agency. And so it has been dubbed as CASAC by its acronym. And it was established to review existing data and advise the EPA administrator when air quality standards are periodically reevaluated, usually every five years. This approach was really designed to have a committee that would be independent of the agency in order to shield the standard setting process from political pressures and to ensure that the standards were supported by good science. So it really, KSAC has been very much involved in addressing research related to air quality, to sources of air pollution, and to the strategies to attain and maintain air quality standards and to prevent significant deterioration of air quality and of public health. Dr. Pope, you were the senior author in a paper published a couple of years ago in the New England Journal of Medicine examining the health effects of the reductions in particulate matter air pollution levels after passage of the Clean Air Act, and you're also a co-author on another paper examining the health effects of ozone. Could you summarize those findings, sort of what do we know about the adverse effects of air pollution and ozone in particular? Yes. Well, over the last several decades, there's been growing scientific evidence that exposure to air pollution, especially fine particulate air pollution, contributes to respiratory and cardiovascular disease and death. Also, over the last several decades in the U.S., we've essentially conducted a nationwide natural experiment with our public policy efforts to control air quality. So in one of these uh, New England Journal of Medicine papers, we report the results of an analysis that actually treats this nationwide effort as a natural experiment to ask the question, did cities with the largest improvements in air quality have bigger improvements in health measured by life expectancy? And the answer was yes. Even while controlling for changes in socioeconomic, demographic, and smoking variables, the evidence indicated that efforts to reduce air pollution had measurable health effects, including significant improvements in life expectancy. 
Now, in the second New England Journal of Medicine paper, we used data from the large American Cancer Society Cancer Prevention Study 2. We evaluated the effects of long-term exposure to air pollution on the risk of dying of respiratory and cardiovascular disease. Now, the results basically confirmed previous findings that fine particulate air pollution contribute to the risk of dying of cardiopulmonary diseases generally. The results also provided evidence that long-term exposure to ozone may also contribute to excess risk of death, especially death from respiratory causes. In 1997, the EPA revised a particulate matter air pollution standard based on scientific evidence. That new standard was unsuccessfully challenged in the Supreme Court by the trucking industry. Dr. Pope, could you comment on the science behind this decision and the predicted public health impact? Sure. Well, as I mentioned earlier, there's now a remarkable amount of scientific evidence that indicates that fine particulate matter air pollution contributes to cardiovascular and respiratory disease and death. So, for example, there are a large number of epidemiologic studies that observe that short-term exposures to fine particulate pollution are associated with various adverse health outcomes, including reduced lung function, increased respiratory symptoms, increased ischemic heart disease events, even increases in hospitalizations and increases in mortality. Studies have further indicated that long-term exposure to fine particulate pollution has even more serious effects, including reduced lung development in children, increased cardiopulmonary disease, and even lung cancer in adults. The good news, however, is that various intervention or natural experimental studies provide important evidence that public policy efforts that reduce this pollution, or at least reduce exposure to this pollution, result in improved human health. So with respect to ozone, the Clean Air Scientific Advisory Committee recommended that a revised standard should be set at a level between 60 and 70 parts per billion. This level was chosen primarily to protect susceptible populations, including people with asthma. Dr. Pinkerton, could you describe for us the reasoning that went into those recommendations? Yes. In terms of the feelings that we've looked at, the scientific literature is really replete with a number of studies to demonstrate that health effects that occur are occurring at the current air quality standard for ozone. So really on the basis of the scientific evidence that was available in 2006, KSAC unanimously recommended that the standard be set between 60 and 70 parts per billion, primarily to protect susceptible populations, such as people with asthma, the young, and those who are elderly. Well, a key feature of the Clean Air Act is a requirement that there be a margin of safety from the lowest level of a pollutant known to cause harm to be included when an air quality standard is set to prevent adverse health effects in sensitive individuals. So the committee was asked to review the evidence twice since 2006, and each time, unanimously, the committee has reaffirmed its recommendation. And since 2006, there have been multiple studies to have shown that adverse effects to ozone at levels below the current standard of 75 parts per billion do exist. These have been studies that include not only those of Dr. Pope, but also of others who have looked at long-term ozone exposure and mortality, 
as well as those who have looked at athletes who've been involved with very short-term exposure to ozone at levels clearly below the current air quality standard of 75 parts per million, and also new studies that have demonstrated that there are decrements in lung function and inflammatory responses in healthy young adults who are exposed to ozone for only a short period of time that it is, again, clearly below the current air quality standard of 75 parts per billion. In fact, these new studies were done looking at 60 parts per billion of ozone exposure over just a little over a six-hour period. So it sounds like there are significant health effects uh, associated with these levels of exposure. Dr. Pope, could you comment on what your data and your understanding of current studies suggest uh, we might see in terms of health effects at levels of ozone higher than those recommended by the Clean Air Scientific Advisory Committee? Yes. Well, in general, I agree with what Dr. Pinkerton has already described. You know, the primary effects will likely be respiratory health effects. It has been shown that exposure to ozone adversely affects lung function, can cause pulmonary inflammation, and respiratory symptoms such as cough, chest irritation, and or tightness, wheezing, etc. There's also evidence that ozone, often in combination with other pollutants, contributes to the increased risk of cardiorespiratory disease more generally. And as Dr. Pinkerton has already mentioned, there's various studies have shown that increased ozone exposure is associated with a variety of adverse health outcomes, but includes serious health outcomes, including cardiorespiratory, hospitalization, and mortality. So the Environmental Protection Agency, which was established in response to the Clean Air Act, as you mentioned earlier, Dr. Pinkerton, was signed into law by President Nixon in 1970. It's recently been criticized because of a perceived adverse effect on economic growth and job creation. In your editorial, you and Dr. Balms argue that this is not the case. Could you explain that more, Dr. Pinkerton? Well, there's always been a concern that tighter air quality regulations would really kill jobs, but there really is very little evidence for such assertions. In fact, there have been recent estimates that indicate that environmental regulations of any nature that have to do with our air quality account for only approximately 0.1% of costs to businesses. Moreover, the compliance with air quality standards literally generates jobs. Most analyses of the economic impact of the Clean Air Act show that implementation of air quality standards has actually added to the GDP. If one really adds up the cost to avoided health care, the overall economic benefit is without question. And I think it's really important to keep in mind that the Clean Air Act is really clearly intended to be a primary consideration above and beyond any cost. But I think as, we've, as I've mentioned already, cleaner air does not necessarily have an overall negative impact on the economy or does it cost jobs. With tighter air quality standards, we do bring economic incentives to shift to cleaner and more sustainable sources of energy away from the combustion of fossil fuels. So I guess, in short, jobs need lost in the coal and oil sectors as we try to implement these standards, but jobs in control technology and clean energy will clearly be gained. I think you have largely answered the question, but an argument is often made that hard economic times are not the time to tighten air quality regulations, including ozone. I wonder what you think about that argument. 
You know, I think we all are very much aware that we're in a relative period of economic hardship, but I don't think it all justifies abandoning what we really have as a very strikingly successful program in the Clean Air Act that is implemented by the Environmental Protection Agency and enforced by government, that it has clearly provided more benefit than economic harm. And I really do believe that the Clean Air Act mandated air quality standard setting process definitely should be based on science rather than politics and really should be maintained. I wanted to ask both of you, how has the uh, ATS responded or how should the ATS respond to President Obama's recent order that the current EPA administrator rescind reconsideration of the ozone air quality standard? Well, I think from one perspective is we just really shouldn't give up hope and and decide that there isn't anything that we can do. We are really a truly an international organization that we're really devoted to evidence-based promotion of respiratory health. And I think that the American Thoracic Society has been at the forefront of all efforts to improve air quality in the United States as well as around the world. So I think we, as members of this society, would ask other members of the society and the public at large to consider carefully the health and economic benefits that are derived from the Clean Air Act versus its costs. And I think in face of multiple legislative initiatives to weaken the Clean Air Act, we really do need to call on the President and members of Congress to uphold this law that has resulted in cleaner air for all Americans to breathe. Dr. Pope, could you comment on that question as well? Well, sure. Dr. Pinkerton has already clearly indicated that, you know, the ATS has a history of supporting and publishing high-quality medical and public health research and and has a history of advocating for evidence-based public health policy. And I agree with Dr. Pinkerton that that has been a very important role of the ATS. And, uh, you know, at least from my perspective, the most important response of the ATS is providing respectable and accurate information. Now, this editorial by Dr. Balms and Dr. Pinkerton is an excellent example. You know, it's clear-headed, it's well-documented, it takes a responsible position. I recommend that all read it. Well, I'd like to thank both of you very much for your time, and thank you, Dr. Pinkerton and Dr. Balms, for your editorial. ATS members who are interested in participating in the advocacy efforts sponsored by ATS are encouraged to go to the ATS website at www.thoracic.org and click the links under the heading Advocacy.